0: I'm here today with the great Tom McCarty, CEO of OrgChart, a company based in California, and we're here to talk about his journey in business, what he's up to with OrgChart these days, and, um, and he's going to share his, his uh, lessons in business with us, and I'm sure it's going to be insightful for the next generation of CEOs to come. Tom, thank you so much for joining us on Road to CEO. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me, Will. I think that's the first time I've heard the great Tom McCartney. I hope I can come up to like a small measure of that billing, but uh, yeah, looking forward to chatting with you.
0: Well, we've gotten to know each other a little bit over the years, and I think um, you know it's a it's a fitting title for you. Well, appreciate it. Appreciate it. So, Tom, why don't you let's start by hearing about your business. uh, What's Orgchart all about?
1: Yeah, so Orgchart is a Uh, Org visualization software. So, you know, put very simply, we provide HR professionals the org chart they need whenever they need it. Um, What we have found is that the HRIS systems tend to uh, fall a bit short on org visibility. Uh, And so we really allow HR professionals to get the customized version of an org chart they need. Um, And then we also allow them to facilitate workforce planning and then see that visualization within that. So we layer in people insights. In uh, workforce planning and, and really do all of that from an element of visualization through the org chart. Okay, I'd love
0: to dig into the product and and talk more about um, maybe maybe you know anywhere you want to go with that later on in in the the episode here. Um, but uh, when did you take the helm here at Org Chart?
1: You know, I am actually coming up right on two years. I I started uh, started with Org Chart in November of 2021 um after we were acquired uh, as a company by lock eight uh, and so I think lock eight is a, a, a private equity firm that uh, really focuses on uh you know smaller scale uh, saAS companies uh the companies have really really good bones but uh, needing some operational help uh, and so lock eight had acquired uh, in uh, late or in the you know, summer end of summer of 21 and then I took over in November of 21
0: okay and um did you have a relationship with lock eight before that or was this uh was this all new
1: no it was uh it was very new for me um and, you know obviously I've gotten to know the lock eight team incredibly well in the last couple of years but uh did not know anyone at lock eight uh prior to uh you know I was actually kind of actively in conversations for some different roles and uh received an email from a recruiter um, about a ceo opportunity and uh honestly at the time I was in more revenue i've been in revenue leadership roles my whole career and uh you know I, first response was you know hey i'm happy to have a conversation but i think you may have the wrong person and uh because it, it wasn't quite on my mind yet um to uh take a ceo role i hadn't really decided um if that was the the step i wanted to take or not um and so yeah took the call and they explained why they they thought the recruiter kind of explained why she thought i, I was a good fit and uh you know, went from there. Uh, it was uh, it was quite the experience.
0: Very cool. Well, so a lot of the listeners in this show are executives who are considering those types of moves. Uh, you know, maybe you know some people are already CEOs, but a lot of people are on their own kind of journey here. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about that? Where, where did your career begin? You know, how you, sure. back as far as you want? Um, to yeah, work. yeah.
1: I, I started my career uh, at Dell uh, in, uh, 2000 actually. So this was, you know, kind of a couple of years before the tech bubble burst in 22 or in 2002, uh, and started out there in sales actually. So if anybody that's been around long enough, um, uh, would remember there was a commercial that went around at the time The dude, you're getting a Dell commercial. And, uh, you, uh, the only way you could order a Dell at the time was to call in. And so my very first job out of college was a sales job at Dell, uh, which was essentially a call center, uh, and I was selling computers on the phone. Um, I I, I grew my career there for 13 years, Um, and so I went from sales into sales management into different sales support roles, regional sales managers, um, kind of ran operations for a call center. Um, you know, ran ops for our Latin America division, I, I was able to get a lot of different experience. And what I, I tended to do was I split my 13 years, kind of half of the time running quota, running quota teams, running sales organizations, and the other half time really running uh, sales operations and kind of chief of staff type roles uh, or, or project management um, and, and operations roles. Uh, it was uh, an incredible experience. So 13 years is a long time. I think, you know, you don't run into a lot of times anymore where people have spent that long of a stint somewhere. Um, I think Dell really epitomized um, operational excellence. Uh, There was certainly a lot of kind of ups and downs of Dell in the early 2000s of just managing through the transitions um, that kind of happened in technology. Uh, But incredibly grateful for that. Uh, You know, that that time, I, I met a lot of pretty phenomenal leaders uh, and had the opportunity to work for several phenomenal leaders in my time there and just really learned, uh, learned a ton. I, I joke that I never went to get my MBA. I joke, that I, I usually joke that I ended up getting my MBA at Dell uh, just through, through real life experience. You
0: know, for me as a CEO, one of the things I care most about is the longevity of team members. You know, I, I love he- hearing about somebody that stayed at a company for 13 years. You know, I, I think, you know, if, and for my business, you know, that is a real important metric is how long are team members staying um, because, because my kind of business is a service business rather than a product business. And so the people are a key part of, of our success. So what do you think, what, what was the most important thing for you to stick around? I, and I've got a guess as to one thing maybe, which I, I'd be happy to lead with, but, but I'd be curious to know, like why did you stay for 13 years? Like what made that a productive, like a good, a good decision?
1: Yeah, I mean I think a couple of things. I mean, look, um when you when you go to uh college in Texas in the nineties, which mm-hmm. I did, um getting a chance to work for Dell was pretty high on the list, right? I mean, it was a, an incredibly well respected company um and was just absolutely skyrocketing through the nineties. Um so I, I think one, I, I was I, I loved the company. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed uh every aspect of my experience with that. Um, uh, I think one of the things that that really kept me there though it was that as as you're kind of identified as um, you know, strong and, and potentially key talent within the organization, Dell did a phenomenal job of continuing to invest in you and continuing to give you new experiences and opportunities. Um, I think in my 13 years, the longest I ever stayed in any one role was two years. Uh, and 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 that was probably a role I needed to stay in. It was you know running large sales organizations. You know I, I had a you know over hundred uh, plus million dollar quota for my team at that time, and it was one that I needed to scale in a little bit more. But I was just able to get such a diverse um, level of experiences, which both gave me diversity in what I learned and what I was able to do on the job, but also with different leaders that I worked for. Um, you know I probably had. 10, 11 different leaders that I worked for um, in that time as well. Um, and and so uh, for me, anyway, that kept me that kept me very stimulated and very engaged. Uh, and I think I easily, uh, I honestly easily could have ended up spending 20, 25 years at Dell. I have several friends who have done that. Um, and I think I was very fortunate, and, and I don't know that I would have thought this at the time, uh, but I was fortunate to, to get caught in a significant rift um, at, at, at my 13 year mark. Um, uh, and it kind of forced me to take a step back. I had opportunities to stay. I had, you know, internal jobs that I could apply for to, to stay at Dell. Um, but I think it kind of forced me to take a step away and, and look at, do I want to do 20 years at this company or not, or is it time for me to go, you know, look at other opportunities. And that, that for me was the impetus of why I left. Um, and, and you know, that, that kind of forced act, um, got me to look around a little bit and, and start to discover some other options. I see. I see. Was
0: there? Um, what, what, did they have good mentorship in general at, at Dell? Was that was that a factor?
1: Yeah, I think there was. Um, I don't know that it was as formally structured, and we're going back a little ways uh, to, to remember exactly. But but I will say, I always felt like I had really great people from the HR teams to my to my sales leaders that I would work with the executives. Um, it was, it was a, it was a good group of individuals and, and, you know, I still have a couple that I, I that tend to visit with that, that give me great advice from time to time. Okay. So then what, so what happened after, after you left Dell? So after Dell, I ended up going to work for Intuit. Um, that was my version of going to a small business at the time. Um, I thought going from, uh, you know, hundred thousand employees to 6,000 felt like I was, I was shrinking. Uh, You know, while I learned a lot about operational excellence and discipline from Dell, I will say I learned two things uh, at at Intuit. Um, One is just the importance and the power of culture. Uh, uh, Intuit has, uh, I will say, one of the best cultures I've ever experienced. Uh, They really invest in their people. They invest in integrity. They invest in uh, allowing their people to be creative and to do what they do best. Um, it, it is just an environment that they tend that you, you it's easy to thrive in um, because of how they set it up. Uh, I think they consistently end up in you know the top places to work list. Mm. Um, the other that I learned was that software was a lot more fun than hardware, uh, and that a high margin business um, was fun uh, and And so you know i, I getting the chance to uh, work it into it when they were in the middle of moving to QuickBooks online. Um, was really interesting because they were moving from the desktop model to the to the SaaS model, uh, and they were excellent at it. Uh, and, and so I just felt, really felt like I got to learn a ton from there. Um, I was only added to it a couple of years, and then from there, I actually started getting into um, the more earlier stage, uh, high-growth companies. Uh, and my, my first foray into that was to go to a company called Pipedrive, which was an A-round company at the time backed by Bessemer. Um, and, and there I really learned, okay, this is what a smaller team, um, with a lot of autonomy and the chance to really kind of build something looks like and, and what the opportunity to, to do early stage growth companies, um, you know, feel like. Mm.
0: Did you, did you take any lessons from the culture of Intuit that you applied to your next bit company or, or companies after that?
1: yeah i think there's i think there's been several um you know one of the things that I try to think about a lot um and this is this was just more of a of a motto and into it was a was a customer back mentality um and and the idea simply being is that you're really thinking about the things you're designing and the things you're doing from the customer experience in mind um you know they used to do uh what they called follow me homes which was where and this was goes back to like the software days of of, a a, a cd disc that you buy at best buy for instance and they would literally you know be in the stores and waiting for someone to buy and then they would you know observe you as you make your purchase in the store and then follow you home and follow watch you do the unboxing and everything and just the idea of just really designing the experience for the customer um and, and really thinking through that and that was one that 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 mentality and that question was constantly asked of of you know whenever you're doing anything is like what's the customer experience going to be what's the customer back build of that look like, yeah. Um, the the other was um, you know Intuit had really leaned into lean startup, um, and the idea of uh, you know building MVPs and iterations of one, um, and so versus um, you know some of the uh, six sigma mentality. Uh, which I did know from from Dell, which I think can can be very good in its own in its own right. Um, but uh, lean startup, I think, gives you a more nimble, agile approach, and the idea of building an MVP, testing it, getting customer feedback, and iterating in kind of uh, slow iterations. So you kind of learn, you pivot, you learn, you pivot, and you keep building onto things as you go. Um, those were certainly some of the some of the key ones that were really just ingrained in how they approached problems in business, um, that, that I certainly enjoyed.
0: What was the name of the company you went to again after Intuit? Pipe Drive. Pipe Drive. uh, That was where
1: I went after that. Yeah. Yeah. And and what was your role at Pipe Drive? So I ran, uh, sales, uh, business development and customer support. Um, so it was, it was, uh, you know, uh, a, a sales CRM, uh, it was the first ever kind of view of the landscape view of your, of your CRM. So yeah. for those of us that are now used to dragging and dropping our, uh, you know, our opportunities across the, the pipeline, um, you know, Drive was really kind of the first to really to do that. Um, and they were an SMB product. It was, uh, you know, I'd, I'd really, it was a good fit for me at the time because, you know, I had spent my career at Dell in consumer and small business. Um, uh, Intuit obviously is a, is a small business company. When you think about uh, QuickBooks, um, that is really the accounting software of small business here. So, high velocity um, SMB mid market sales has always been my career, and that's really where Pipe Drive um, set. And so, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a good fit for me in terms of my experience and in terms of customer segment and industry. But, um, you know, when I came in, I was employee number 60 something, I think uh and so it was really a chance to understand you know that real high growth uh, and you know we more than the company more than doubled um during during the time i was there wow um so so uh
0: and what came next after pipe drive
1: um you know after pipe drive i, I did a little bit at zero um and then uh, i ended up um i i met a founder uh of a uh language translation software um you know while i was at pipe drive and and had always wanted to kind of take an early stage plunge of like truly building from from with the ground up um and so while i was there you know he uh, continually tried to get me to come on board to help lead sales and to uh, to drive after that um and you know after a few months i i decided to take the plunge uh, and went into a company with no revenue uh, and the chance to do enterprise sales. So I sp- spent my entire career around, you know, the high velocity um, sales models of SMB and mid-market, uh, and had a chance to go do enterprise. Wanted to learn it. Wanted to get the chance to see what it would be like to go build a company from the- from the ground up, from a revenue perspective. Uh, and so I jumped into that and did that for a little over four years, and then landed where I am today.
0: Very cool, very cool. So, do you? So, you've had quite a range of sizes, that's for sure. You've gone from the the biggest, well, as big as you can get, basically, almost with with Dell, through and Intuit, down to uh, to to seed stage, basically startups. Um, do you have uh, any uh, any preference at the moment?
1: Yeah. Um, look, I, I will say this. I, um, I I love earlier stage companies. I think that the opportunity that it affords to learn, the opportunity it affords to build something, to test, to iterate, to have more autonomy and authority to go do things um, was always exciting for me, right? I mean, and, and if you look at the the revenue I've managed in my career, I will never likely again manage um, or oversee, uh, you know, quotas or P&Ls as large as I did at Dell, um, but those were inconsequential. I mean, if you had half a million, or sorry, if you had half a billion at Dell, that was really not a massive amount that you were that you were responsible for relative to the entire company. Uh and, and so I, I just thoroughly enjoy um the uh ability to go grow and build something uh that happens within earlier stage companies. Um I, I will say that the hardest thing I ever did in my career was go from zero to one million um, with uh with more of a seed stage company. Uh I have tremendous respect for every founder out there that uh that goes and achieves that. Um I felt like I felt like a lot of kind of attachment to it, but I also wasn't the founder. I wasn't the one trying to get people to give me money to say invest in this. Uh, I think there's just a whole nother level of stress uh that comes to that that I have a, a greater appreciation for. Um, but I, I probably won't go back to, to doing that unless it's, it's my own thing at one point in time. Um, so I like one that's kind of already probably shown a little bit more, uh, product market fit has been found. Yeah. Um, and maybe we're, you know, a few million in, uh, but, uh, but still early stage and in in really needing to start to scale. And, and from a growth perspective is is where I find my sweet spot to be now.
0: Yeah. I remember a venture capitalist once told me that there, there, there are certain guys that can take you from zero to a million other guys that can go from one to 10 and then different folks generally go from 10 to a hundred. And I remember, um, and, and I know for me going from zero to a million, like you just said, that there was, there's something very exhilarating about, about doing that. I personally think it's a massive accomplishment to be part of a team that, that goes from zero to a million. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and then I, you know, the other two are, huge accomplishments as well. Going from 10 to a hundred would be fair yeah. And, and yeah. fun. Um, but, but I, I think, I, I think it's good. It's it's nice to think about it in, in that kind of way, because you do get di- different sets of challenges when you're going from zero to a million that v- versus one to 10, you know, with one to 10, you maybe have some more product market fit. You've got a lot of processes in place. You've got teams, you know, kind of coalescing and, uh, and you're, you're, you're still having to do a lot of strategy, a lot of strategic planning and, and, and all of that. But but it's it's different. It's a different type of challenge than getting from zero to a million.
1: Yeah. No, it uh, it 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 absolutely is. I think zero to a million, it's just really getting out there and hustling and grinding. It's really about uh as many conversations as you could possibly have. You you try to throw process out the window. It's not about process, it's not about scale, it's about starting to find the customers that will use your product, that will test your product, that um, will will back your product. Uh, and that is more important than anything at that stage. And then, uh, you know, once you start getting past that, then you start saying, okay, how do I repeat this? How do I do this over and over again? And that's really, I think, what one to 10 kind of starts to prove is, um, you know, do we have this repeatable process? Do we have um, you know, I, I've heard it described as like, is, is this a stamp that you can keep stamping, especially when you think about SaaS, right? Or are you custom doing something every time? Uh, and so one to 10 really is about getting that repeatable process, that repeatable product that has a demand for it. Uh, and then I think 10 and beyond is really about then. It's the growth. It's 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 the scale of the business. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's right on. So tell me about the decision to uh, To take the the helm as CEO of Orgchart.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I I think it was first of all it was a huge curveball for me at the time. I, I really wasn't thinking it. I remember uh, talking to my wife and saying like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this call like, you know, because I was telling her about the you know the uh, the interview or the, the the call request that I had gotten. I was like, okay, I, I look, this doesn't seem serious for me right now, but um, but I should take the call and start to get the experience of what the interview process would look like. Um, and, you know, every conversation. So I met with the recruiter and I was like, OK, I could see why why this fits. And um, and my first call was with Todd Gibby, who I think you've had the, the pleasure of having on the show before as well. And Todd really walked me through, you know, his his thesis and, and kind of his his mission of what he wanted to do with Lockheed and specifically the aspect of hiring first-time CEOs and creating an environment um, where they could learn and grow. Uh, and, you know, one of my comments was like, Hey, look, I've never been a CEO before. And one of Todd's first comments was nobody is for their first one, right? Like you, you, there, there has to be a place to start and you've got to decide what creates the best opportunity for that. Um, so as I started to, to interview with both the Lock8 team and with the Orgchart team, um, I was really seeing two things. One, I started to see a business that fit my sweet spot of my profile—a a higher velocity, lower ACD business—that um, is, from a go-to-market perspective, what I know how to do well. And Orgchart really had a product that was solving a, a pain point really, really well, um, but didn't have, uh, you know, great go-to-market execution yet. Uh, and, and so I was like, I see a good fit for me in this. Um, and, and then I started to get to know the lock eight team and started to realizing the opportunity that existed to, for me as an executive to come into, um, you know, a CEO role where I'm not going to be flying solo, where I'm not just trying to scramble and figure these things out. And in my time over the last, you know, 10 plus years in earlier stage companies and getting to know the earlier stage growth community. I see a lot of founders struggle. I see a lot of founders who, who are trying and, and just, you know, don't always have the coaching development and the sounding boards that to make them successful. And, and I saw all of that within uh, Lockheed's model. And so as I sat there and I, and I talked to a few mentors who had taken CEO roles in their career, who were just like, man, it would have been amazing to have had that opportunity for my first role, to to, to have that that structure and uh, that uh, uh, of it, and then Lockheed's model is really is like, look, we know you're a first-time CEO. We're going to invest in you. We're going to invest in your development. We're going to be, um, you know, more uh, connected to you than than what uh, you know an A-round VC company might be. Um, but our goal is to support you in your development so that at the end of this journey, you are, you know, an experienced and seasoned CEO. Uh, and so for me, when I started to to look at those two things, I was like, okay, this company really is something I know what to do with. I I know how to, to, to attack these problems. And I know this, this model of high velocity really well. And then I looked at over here of the support model and the chance to really learn and grow and thrive in the CEO role. Um, it felt like a no brainer to me. I had some other CRO opportunities and kind of be around companies, uh, that I was looking at. And for me, it was like, okay, sometimes you, there's lots of different reasons why you take a job. And for me, this was really all about the opportunity. And, um, I will say it was, it was certainly org chart. I think we've got a phenomenal product and, and a phenomenal team and company. Um, but, uh, you know, Lockheed's model and, uh, and specifically Todd, Todd Gibby's mentorship and leadership was a, a huge part of why I, I chose it.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Um, yeah. And I, I, You know, it sounds like the ideal place to start as CEO, frankly. Um, So um, when I uh, have been CEO, I you know, one of the things for me that changed was I um, I didn't like I felt frustrated before I was CEO at times where I'd have a, a kind of a vision for something. And then I would, you know, bec- not being a CEO would be very difficult to get my vision, kind of al- get the organization aligned with my vision. And so then that that led me to really want to to take a top job somewhere, and um, you know, and that frankly is the main reason why I I like being a CEO is that you know if I've got a clear vision, like if I didn't have a clear vision for for something, I wouldn't want to be CEO. Um, now I I'd like to just kind of put that question to you. Um, you know, what do you, you know, how's it been? Like, how do you like being CEO? Is it, is there something about being CEO that you, that really kind of appeals to you and sort of fits you really well? You know, like, like, what what are your thoughts now? You're two, you're basically two years in. Um, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that?
1: Um, you know, first of all, I love it. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy my job. I enjoy the problems I wake up to and, and, and get to go, the pleasure to work with, uh, the, the team that I get the pleasure to work with. The um, WorkChart team is just phenomenal. Um, we have some really incredibly bright individuals. Um, they work hard, uh, and um, and they're, uh, they're scrappy in, in many respects, uh, at, at which you need to be at this stage of growth, uh, and just a pleasure to work with as a team. Uh, and so I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I, I, I am honored by the opportunity to do it. Uh, And I enjoy the work every day. It's hard. It is it is hard work. And and I think that for any of us that have been in executive roles, but not in a CEO role, I think it's very easy to look at that role and think, you know, I could do that better. Um, It is um, it is a hard job for sure. It is a job of constant learning and humility. Um, And uh, and I have drank from the fire hose of learning uh for sure over these last two years and continue to do so. Um but uh but yeah I I I really enjoy it. Um it's uh it's it's a pleasure and and I feel honored to get the opportunity to lead this team.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Um so um what, what what's something that maybe you and I I I feel like this is kind of a, a might be a tough question for you because you've had such varying experiences, but what's something that maybe you yeah uh changed your mind on since becoming ceo like me did you did you did you think something would be easier than it was did you think like did you have kind of a view i mean I'll, I'll tell you for myself i thought that as ceo you know you could just kind of make a pronouncement and everything and it would and and things would kind of fall in line and boom that's all there is to yeah, it yeah. and um and wouldn't that be nice? I, I was quickly I was quickly disabused of that notion. That's not yeah. you know you know a lot of the yeah. work of being CEO is 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 finding the direction and then organizing everything behind that direction and 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 tracking it, monitoring it, measuring it, all of that stuff. And I, I that was that I don't know. I I guess maybe it shouldn't have been a surprise, but that that was something for me. I I thought because you know when I was not a CEO, when a CEO would. I worked for gave me a direction. I I felt like I would just execute on it, and um and I, I feel like it's a little different than in reality when you're when you're when you've got that job.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I I I don't know if there's anything I necessarily changed my mind about. I think I um, had a deeper appreciation and understanding of the role now than than I did then. Right, so. Um I, I think I, I came into this eyes wide open of what I did and didn't know. Um, right. So my my whole background is go to market, sales operations, marketing, sales, partnerships, everything GTM was really what I built my career around. I'd never led a product organization. Um, I had never been responsible for finance and HR. Um, so there were aspects of the role that I'm like, I've never done this before. I've obviously worked with those leaders in in a leadership as part of a leadership team but I haven't owned those. (laughs) Excuse me. So I was, I was pretty eyes wide open on what I did and didn't know and that I I knew it would be hard job. Um, I I think what I have a deeper appreciation for is just how hard it can be. Um, And uh, and, and look, it can also be a lonely job as well. Uh, When you think back at your time and other careers and other companies that you've worked for, you always have peers. Like there's always people you can, you can, you can talk to and that you can, have uh, you know the more intimate conversations about your career and what's going on at the company and things like that that doesn't exist in this role and and I don't I don't say woe was me on that other than just that it, it is that is that is a reality of it um, and I and I've I've learned that it's important to uh, to build community outside uh, of peers so that you can have sounding boards to that and I've been fortunate to be able to do that both within uh within Lock 8's community uh, group of CEOs and within uh the community of Pavilion um that I've been able to find some good uh sounding boards for. So I've 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 found that that that's probably one of the things I didn't necessarily appreciate how how isolating the role can be. Um, it, and so I have a much deeper appreciation for it. And then the other that I would say that I have a, a deeper understanding and appreciation for is the need to constantly monitor and kind of understand what's going on within your business and make the decisions of where you need to spend more time as as the leader because you can't spend as much time as you want to everywhere you would want to and so you know what i i have kind of learned is like this this rotation of like i've got my kind of constant monitoring of all the departments and of what i'm doing and then kind of deciding where i need to spend my additional hours on where 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 needs my focus more is it marketing right now or do i need to be diving in with the product team more Um, Or is we are we in the middle of planning season and I need to get heads down with my with my director of finance to really work on the operational plans. And so it's that constant monitoring of that um, and making sure it's like judging how deep do you go? um, Because it's I think it's easy to, to click too far deep and then not pay attention to other areas that you need that that do need your attention. So that constant checking of where your time is being spent is uh man it, it is an art uh and it, it is incredibly important
0: i remember one of the first ceos who uh i had as a mentor told me that when he took over a particular he was kind of a turnaround guy so he would step into you know struggling businesses so there's a little bit of a different model and he would step in and he would typically according to him, spend about a year focused on a different area. So like he would have maybe a four-year plan when he was doing a real turnaround. And in year one, he would focus on the finances. Year two, he'd focus on operations. Year three, it would be sales. Year four, it would be marketing. Um, And I I found that to be an interesting approach. I think it probably, um, it might, it might be very suitable for uh, companies that are a true mess and uh, you know have all four of those areas yeah. needing to be yeah you be completely revamped but but i also always liked as somebody for who who really values focus i always respected that as a um as an approach in general um just to to really nail each area on its own and as you're and i'm sure he couldn't ignore the all any one area at any time i mean no, we can't ignore things but but in terms of his like best bandwidth he would kind of focus on each one until it until he was comfortable that it was uh, it was turned around
1: yeah no that's interesting I um yeah I'd have to think about that more uh, you know it, over that long of a period of time feels challenging I think it also just depends on how long you have and how much yeah. Correct. um how much time you have to turn things around right so um you know I can say that for for us like you know, we, we had multiple areas we needed to focus in at one time. But I do also understand there are um you know, so for instance, you mentioned finance first. I don't know if that's where where he focused first, but obviously you've got to have a strong grasp yeah. on and discipline around the finances, the budget, where you're investing, where those resources are going. Uh and that is certainly, you know, you hear a lot about kind of, you know, what what's most important for a CEO? Well, keeping 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 cash in the bank and 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 the company funded is is towards the top of the list, uh, and so yeah you, you got to have you got to have that one certainly very buttoned up before you can go do other things.
0: So so let's talk a little bit about the product because the org chart product is very interesting to me. Um, you know, you say it's it's um, org chart visualization software. So HR yeah. professionals will be interested in it. What what can you t- just tell us a little bit more about it? Like, what value does it provide? You know, wh- why shouldn't mm-hmm. somebody just write an org chart out the old-fashioned way and uh, and be done with it? You know, what, what's the uh, you know what 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 give us some color to the product?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, um, we we plug into over fifty different HRIS systems or HCMs. Uh, so from your workday to your ADP, UKG, Ceridian, all, all of them, uh, we plug into and integrate with. What we find is that when we talk to HR professionals, um, typically the HR platform they're on will basically give them a very cookie-cutter version of the main title reporting structure, um, which, if, look, that's all you need to show tends to be okay, um, but uh, but that is usually not what HR needs. HR's needs start to mature and their needs for what they need to visualize starts to mature, and there's not a way to get that within the tools that they have. And so what they end up doing is they draw that in Visio or they draw that in PowerPoint. And, and even just different leaders. I mean, I could tell you as a sales leader working at Dell, I built my own org charts many, many times, and I literally would spend hours trying to drag and drop and fit everything the way I wanted it. And then, you know, as soon as you built one and then anything changed next quarter, you have to redo things. And it's just a complete pain, right? It is is a time suck. And so what we allow HR professionals to do is uh, we integrate into their HCM. They build the org charts they need, and they they can have different versions of it, right? So it's not one version of the org chart. Maybe you have a DEI chart so that when you're going in and having DEI planning and conversations for your organization, you have the appropriate shading and data, people insights integrated into into that specific chart. Uh, And so you just go straight into the tool. You pull it. You export it to PowerPoint. You export it to PDF, whatever you need. And it's always – real time sync with your hr data so it's always accurate it's always up to date uh and so we have hr professionals that use us to create multiple different versions of their org chart for the needs of their business maybe they're doing budget planning maybe they're doing succession planning you know all of these require different insights into the visualization of the org Uh, and so it's not a one size fits all and it's not a uh, so we're not, you know, just a standard template. We allow you to customize it for what you need, what data you need to show on the chart, and it's always real time there, so that no one's ever going in and manually building a chart again. Uh, they just quickly download uh, the chart that they need.
0: So then, does does the HR team manage the whole process? And so, like a sales leader will then work with HR to get the the you know, the org chart for their department or the org chart, like the one that you would have created back when you were yeah. managing a sales team or, or do they make it themselves?
1: Um, we typically see that that gets managed through HR and look, our our buyer at org chart is HR. Yeah. Um, I'd say probably 90% of the customers that we talk to and the buyers we talk to are HR professionals. Um, and so they typically manage the account. They manage the, the instance and then and then they you know they can assign kind of viewer roles so that the people who need it can just go in and download it without having to come to HR every time they need something right um, but we do typically see that it ends up usually being HR professionals that this lands on um, both in terms of and th- and that's why this can be so valuable because look hR professionals provide such an incredible um, value to the organization, but that value is not in them doing manual tasks of creating an north chart of tracking organizational changes for workforce planning of doing what is um, arguably can sometimes administrative work of things. Their value is in actually helping to have the conversation about your org in helping to meet with the the people leaders. Um, to talk about what's happening within your org, what's your average tenure that's on your team? Where are uh, you know possible weak spots? Where where are you know attrition risks within your team? And what's our plan for how we address that? That's the power of the HR professional. But yet, this manual work of the org chart is often put on them. Uh, and so, what our goal is is to automate that and to really allow the HR professionals to spend their time engaging in the deep leadership that they're able to provide an organization. I mean, look, our most valuable asset at any company is their people, right? And HR's job is really helping to maximize the value of our people, ensuring that 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 resource of our most valuable resource is effective in what they do, is in a culture that lets them thrive, um, and and that we are managing that well. And uh, our goal is to automate some of this work so that they can really focus on that work.
0: I see. And so, and it pulls directly from an HRIS system. And so, essentially, you're able to just uh, make sure everything's always up to date, always, you know, as accurate as whatever the HR system is. And, um, and so, therefore, you're, you're you know, it, it really solves a data
1: quality problem as well. It does, absolutely. And I yeah, mean, the key so. here is, again, once you've manually built a chart, as soon as anything changes in the org, your chart is no longer relevant and you have to manually fix it all. And so this this really yeah. takes care of that so that yeah. you can always at any time get the most accurate version of the yeah, chart.
0: I, I, yeah, I mean, I think the hidden cost of creating an org chart is, you know, it basically, but my, my view whenever I've done it manually in the past is, you know, you, there's a view where you create it and it's accurate that day and then you're just going to throw it away after that because it's not going to be very accurate it. You're going to have to recreate it or update it as soon as you need it again. And, um, so like the manual creation, I think I, I hear that loud and clear that that would be, you know, there's just no, there's never an assumption that you can cre- you know, create one manually and then rely on it, you know, um, even a few months later,
1: potentially. Yeah. Yeah. No, I you think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, look, when we're when we're talking smaller growth stage companies like we, we you and I have been talking about at the beginning of this call, when you have 20 people on your team, you don't have significant changes every every month and every quarter. But as you start getting north of 100, as you start having 200 employees, as you start having 500 employees, yeah, it, like it's the the odds of it staying static for a week is is slim to none right and so the organization is ever changing even if that is not that somebody left or somebody got hired but maybe somebody got promoted and moved into a new role or changed departments or you know like there's there's, the organization is in constant flux and change and you need to be able to get that accurate readout at any time
0: well you mentioned that the one of the best run organizations that you work for dell had you changing roles at least every two years i think it was um or maybe maybe it was even more than that. And so, I mean, I think that tells you right there. It's like a lot of times, you know, like my company is very stable, um, but people's roles and titles change, you know, and their responsibilities change. So even on a yeah. small team, it is uh, you know, there, there's a lot of change going on. Now, you, you also mentioned uh, DEI, uh, which has been a very hot topic, generally speaking, Um uh, so what? What? And, and you said maybe there would be like a DEI um org chart that somebody would want. Can you just speak a little bit about that? Like, what, what would that? What would that be like? Yeah, I mean,
1: look, it, it can be lots of things. I mean, it can be looking at your diversity. It can be looking at, um, you know, uh, the the uh, the equity within the organization. It could be looking at where there are barriers within your organization. Um, you know, I I think that the nice thing about Um, The idea of the org chart is that it takes us away from spreadsheets that we often look at these things in, um, and it it allows us to see the structure of our organizations, to see where people sit, to put people to it um, as well. Um, Sometimes people like to actually put photos on their charts um, as well so so that you're really bringing the people forward. And, And so each one of these conversations can be different and the needs for it can be different. And when you're thinking about really actively managing DEI across a large organization, um, like, you really need to visualize that data. You really need to actually take a look at that. And and so, um, you know, being able to create a custom chart to be able to, uh, for that purpose, for those, that's tailor fit for those conversations, um, really brings a lot more richness to the conversations and allows you to focus on what you need to versus trying to interpret a spreadsheet. Uh, for instance, the um, versus uh, really you know, seeing it within the chart itself.
0: So uh, I'd be curious if, um, and this may be too much of a hot button question, but um, I'd be I'd be curious if you have insight into the growth of interest in DEI. Like, like can you see across your client base that more companies are you are creating those types of Diversity, equity, and inclusion, visualizations, you know might may, maybe showing their commitment to 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 doing that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, you know and obviously with what we do um, and, and the, the data that we have in our platform, we're, we're not looking at you know any any of our our clients' specific things they're doing, we do see the types of like we can see like the the features and, and what's being utilized within the product, so we certainly know that that is one that is frequently used. Um, but we don't, uh, we don't right now publish any data or anything around that. It might be something that we try to look at in the future, but, um, but that, yeah, certainly is a popular one that people ask us about and utilize within the product.
0: Um, well, so I, I like to so I, we're getting close to the end of uh, the hour, I believe. Um, and I just wanted to maybe, uh, ask a question about the future. You know, what, what, what do you think the future holds for org chart, um, you know what? What are your plans? Uh, you know, as we get to the end of 2023, um, anything you want to share on uh, the direction, kind of your your vision ahead?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, we 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 talk a lot about, and I said at the very beginning, we provide the org chart you need whenever you need it, and and, and really focusing for that for HR professionals. You know, I think in the year ahead, you're going to see us continue to strengthen that and and really stay in that position of saying, like, look, we want to we want to give you the visualization. Um, with the insights you need, um, whatever you need it. And then we want you to be able to look and and cast the vision for your organization and and do the workforce planning elements that you need and and visualize that. We'll continue to strengthen in those areas. Um, We are really investing right now in some of our guiding principles of how we build products. Um, And two of those that we're really investing in right now is visuality and intuitive. And we're really trying to make that software as intuitive as possible and visually appealing. Uh, and obviously, as a company that creates a visual asset, um, that's really important to us. Um, so I think we'll be continuing to do that. We're building great partnerships across the HR ecosystem uh, when we think about all of the HCMs that are out there. And so we're, we're going to continue to try to serve HR professionals and, and really focus on strengthening our core of what we do um, around giving you the, the visibility, the insights and the vision of your organization through the org chart. So
0: Tom, if people want to listen to this and want to get in touch with you, either about org chart or about career advice or anything else like that, how do you like people to reach out?
1: Yeah. You know, feel free to hit me up on, on LinkedIn. You can find me pretty easily. Uh, and uh, you can also feel free to, to drop me a note at Tom at the Tom,
0: thank you so much for being on road to CEO. This has been a great episode and I know people will benefit from hearing about your experiences Uh, Thanks again.
1: And um, I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Will. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it. And uh, have a great day as well.